Hi, guys. Welcome back to Wholehearted Loving. I'm Steph. Hi, I'm Georgiana. So we're back uh, with a continuation of our continuation of this love conversation. And before we get started, of course, we are going to do a self-connection practice to connect with ourselves before we connect with each other and with this podcast. All right. So let's um, feel like a broken record. One day you're going to thank me. (laughs) Feel your butt on the chair or your feet on the ground. Notice your breath. And we're going to give our hands a squeeze. And I want you to imagine like you're charging up your hands with love. (laughs) Right? Charging that love battery. And then you're going to take your 10 fingertips. And they're going to give you love taps. I like to start with love taps on my chest. But you choose where you want your love taps. They could go like on your neck, on your head. Really just follow your own body's lead. And imagine that every time those fingertips touch your body, they're giving you like zaps of extra love. Oh, it's so nice. (laughs) This is, I mean, all of these practices we share are things you could easily do with kids and turn them into games. This is like especially fun. I don't think I've done love taps before. I've tapped, but okay. And I remember the feeling of charging my hands up with love, but I don't think the next thing that happened was tapping. That was very nice. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I like to change it up. Delightful. Okay. So we left off talking about being regulated as parents. We were talking about judge mind, and Mm -hmm. you want to pick up from there. Yeah, I want to pick up from there. Um, I think we were saying just when we are not regulated, we can't meet people from a place of compassion and curiosity. So whether you're a parent or you're not a parent, but you have people you love and you care about or people you just need to work with, all your relationships are going to benefit when you practice regulating your nervous system, right? And I remember the specific words of um, Dr. Gabor Mate. I was in a workshop with him several years ago. And this was still when, like, I was doing a lot of nervous system regulating practices for myself, but I wasn't really sharing it with the world and sharing it with my clients. And he said, and I was working a lot with families at that point, a lot with parents. And he said, one of the biggest gifts a parent can give their children is to learn to regulate their nervous system. And I was like, oh, why did you just say that? (laughs) (laughs) Because to me, that was the universe saying to me, Georgiana, you need to start sharing what you know with people, with parents, you know, not just on the parenting strategy stuff but really on the regulating the nervous system bit. And from that day forward, I began sharing all the practices that I knew with people that I worked with, because I knew like you can intellectually learn all the stuff you could learn phrases and communication tools, but if you can't actually regulate your nervous system, you can't access the part of your brain where that all that lovely stuff is stored to be able to use it. Right. So I would like to um, take what he said and just tweak it a bit. The biggest gift you can give every person you care about Mm. is to learn how to regulate your nervous system. The biggest gift you can give yourself is to learn how to regulate your nervous system. Yeah. Right. Because the quality of your relationships is going to significantly improve when you're able to do that. 
And the great news is there's small ways that we can strengthen our capacity to regulate ourselves. It doesn't have to be really big, complicated things, right? And Mm -hmm. we share at least two practices every podcast episode that help us wire that up, wire that capacity to be with myself, be with the sensations that are present, be with the feelings that are present, be with the thoughts that are present. Yeah. And grow that capacity for sure. I can still remember clearly my anxiety or fears or worries or controls hurtling into every interaction. It wasn't me that was interacting. Um, I I think I've said this before when people call themselves self-conscious, I think that's such a misnomer. It's usually not their self they're conscious of. It's their anxieties and their unmet needs. And they're not even conscious of those things, really. Those are just unconsciously running the show and being able to slow down, having things slow down, doing this practice regularly makes all the difference in the world. And it's made all the difference for how I interact with my family, how I experience my mother, how we can be together now. Totally different. Like I would not be able to spend the time that I spend with my parents if I didn't grow this muscle. And then my old solution was, well, then I'm not going to see them. I'm not going to spend time with them because I can't handle how I feel when I'm around them. I just want to rage and I'm like, that doesn't feel good. So then my solution was, well, then I just won't spend time with them. But as I've learned how to be with all the stuff that's getting stirred up when I'm in their presence and learn to bring some settling to my system, learn to pause so that I don't take what's happening with them personally, then I can enjoy being in their presence more. Mm-hmm. God, you're reminding me of, um, I had a conversation with my mom some amount of time ago, a conversation about something, whatever it was, the, the point is that she was asking me questions um, about some choice I was making. Maybe it was about moving to Salt Spring. I'm not sure, but she uh, was asking me questions that I felt were important questions that I needed to slow down and answer. So I would take a breath and start to answer. And by the time I started talking, she'd be asking another question. And eventually I became aware that like, oh, these aren't really questions. These are worries. I'm fielding anxieties right now. And it's not about the words or the answers. It's about something else, you know? And in the past, I would have only been defensive and feeling like I needed to prove something or have, you know, have a satisfactory answer. Um, but slowing down now, I see there is no satisfactory answer. There's only meeting each other's feelings. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do that before. And, you know, for someone like my mom, or, you know, if we talk about things generationally, I think we're not necessarily feeling more, but having more time and awareness around feelings. Mm -hmm. So then I have to be the person bringing this and leading that charge, you know, Uh, and it's like night and day. Yeah, it's amazing and bless your mother because and and like you and your mother have an adult adult relationship right and yet you still feel in that moment of that conversation oh this is my mother's fears this is what's in the space between us right now not me sharing my experience about moving to salt spring and me giving her some information it's her asking questions masked you know, that are masking fear. And because you've done this work, you can notice that and you can see that that's what's happening for your mom. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can bring some compassion to that. That's what I see happen so much with moms of young kids, moms of adult kids is that it's not that they don't want to hear their child or what their child's saying isn't important. It's that in that moment, their own fears are so big and they don't, they're either not aware of them or they don't know what to do with them. And so it comes out in all this stuff. And typically, especially when your kids are young, they're not meant to understand all this, 
right? That you've taken time to learn. They just either interpret that as, well, not worth telling you anything, right? right? Or you really don't get me. Or, oh, it's about you again. I have that feeling so often. I'm like, oh, it's about you again. Right. (laughs) Now I have to tend to your worries. That happens so easily. That really comes in. Something that I'm scared about or worried about or excited about. And now I have to sit with your worry. That sucks. Yeah. Right. And that's a hard place to be. And I think as a child, because you need to have a place to be able to put that somewhere. And if you can't go to your parents, who are you meant to go to? Well, this happens with just everybody. This is the common way of doing relationship. If someone's sad, you tell them it'll be okay to stop crying. You think of when you're trying to present something to your partner and you just end up saying, just forget about it. You just don't get it. Forget it. There's something and there's that gulf between us again. And it's, I think it's often filled with us not knowing how to express our feelings. That's a huge key is knowing what I feel, being able to share it, being able to share it without bursting into tears is like another level for me because tears are another layer. Without it coming from judgment and blame. Yeah, totally. That's something I had to learn and practice. Yeah. And And sitting with our own feelings gives us that capacity to be able to sit with other people's feelings. You know, I don't need you to feel better because I can, I can actually hold some sadness now without needing it to be different. This is the thing that um, I realized and it made so much make sense. If I don't honor and respect and learn to be with my sadness, my anger, my shame, my jealousy, my excitement, my joy, all the things, my anger, then when I see them in you, I'm going to want to shut that shit down. Right. And sometimes it might be a mean shutting it down, you know, an unkind way, but sometimes it's a very kind way of shutting it down. Mm -hmm. Like Exactly. It'll be okay, Steph. Yeah. They're there. Look at the bright side. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, And that helped me understand other people as well. Like when my mother couldn't be there for and meet me in my emotion, when my dad couldn't, when ex-partners couldn't, I used to take that so personally. I used to make it mean you don't love me. You don't care about me. You don't want to understand me, right? You don't want to support me. And it hurt to think that these people who I care about so much and love, I made it mean they didn't love me. And I wasn't worth it. I wasn't worth it. I wasn't worth their time to understand. I wasn't worth, you know, their care. And what I realized was, oh, if they can't be with my sadness, most likely they can't be with their own either. And that's Mm. why they're afraid of sadness just in general. Yeah. And there hasn't been time for it. And there hasn't been time for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to emphasize that this new period of time, we've got all of these conveniences, we've got more time, more connection. Um, So like, take advantage. This is the time to be a feelings person. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of compassion for that. My mom, my my sweet mother will say that. But we were immigrants, and we just had to work hard, and we didn't know. And will you please forgive me? And yes, mom, I yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. My mom said the other day that um, she had listened, and she was listening to us. You know, we're inevitably, we're talking about feelings. She said, well, you know, I have feelings. I just don't have them all the time. And I can imagine if you did have them all the time, that that would be you know, a a problem that would be really hard to deal with. And that's, that's so true for me. You know, I've, um, that's been my experience. You, you, it resonated a lot what you were saying about your experience growing up and not being held in your emotions. And so just saying, well, either my emotions are valueless. So let's tamp those down. Let's numb those out and certainly don't bring them to people you know? And for me, my human design, I'm an emotional authority. Like I've always been very emotional and emotion matters. I make choices and moves in life based on my emotion. 
So being disconnected from that is really very detrimental for me. Um, and I definitely learned, you know, my parents love me and support me in the ways that they do. And although I couldn't recognize those before, I think unconsciously I knew what to go to them for and, and what not to. I remember when I was 23, my best friend died. Mm-hmm. And the first thing, so his wife called me and I did this sort of, okay, lock it down, make sure she's okay. Make sure it, does anybody need anything like that? I was like, okay, does anybody need anything? And then I hung up the phone and just lost my mind. I was tearing my hair and like, it was intense. And the first call I was like, I need my mom. (laughs) I need to call my mom. And one of the first things she said, I mean, you know, that's horrible. That's awful. Come, come. Do you need to come here? That's what she said, you know? And I probably just needed to smoke and drink. So the answer was no, but she said something that was so helpful for me. And this is, if I'm losing my mind, I phone my mom. Mm. She said there would be endorphins. He wouldn't have, he had a heart attack suddenly and a dairy queen. And, and this was not unexpected. He had Marfan syndrome. So all of his tendons were lengthening out and he was on a wait list for surgery. Um, she said he wouldn't have been in pain. Endorphins would flare that would, you know, it makes you feel as good as you can feel while all this horrible stuff's going on. And that was so helpful for me to hear, you know? So I'm glad I called you for that. Yeah. Reaching out. Yeah. It's a really important thing. I, I love that you had that and you knew that you could do that. Me too. Yeah. That's the thing is hard things that happen, traumatic events that happen, like how they end up impacting us and living in us and staying in us or not is so dependent on the kind of support we have at that time and what we feel there's freedom to express and feel and show people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll put a pin in this maybe. One day I wanna share the story about you and Shay and when we were at um, the Cleveland Dam, Ooh, yeah, and how significant that was, we'll save that for a different conversation. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of that conversation came up for me actually in our last episode when you started telling this story. This is in the vein of choosing relationships and choosing how you want to show up for relationships. Right. And I knew with my parents, when I started doing this work, I I chose, I was like, I recognize that I'm hiding parts of myself from them. And I don't want that. I'm choosing this relationship and I'm choosing openness Mm -hmm. and I'm learning boundaries and all of these things are, are wrapped up together. But I remember when you phoned me on that, morning when they found Daryl's car. And I was, I remember I was sitting on my couch, just being a lump that day Mm. and looking forward to being a lump. (laughs) And you said some things that didn't make sense to me. You know, you were like, they found Daryl's car at a dam. I was like, well, he must be doing, he's gone for a walk. What, what is this? You know? Mm -hmm. And you were like, I need you. I need you to come with me. And my mind was like, you've got lumping scheduled for the day. Daryl's gone for a hike. This is dramatic bullshit lump. And that was, you know, the defended judge part that couldn't be open. I felt a wall come down. Mm-hmm. And then I chose, I remembered my choice, you know. What did you choose? You needed me. And I chose you. Um, and it had, I, it was work, you know, I was like, wow, something big is happening and my capacity is limited and it's for specifically this. So I'm doing this and my friend needs me. That's all there is to it. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful for 
this work and growing that capacity is pretty enormous. Yeah. Um, I thought we weren't going to have this conversation, but I actually feel open to having it. Do you feel open to having this conversation? I do. Okay. Um, just to put things, I guess, into context of where this conversation is going is, is about, you know, how we show up for each other during hard times, how we learn to ask for what we need in really hard moments and the patterns we, both of us shifted through this experience, right? Um, we were talking about when my ex um, went missing and the day or the days that he went missing and I called Steph and I don't even remember what I said, but it must've been along those lines of, I need you and I need you to come. And I actually remember before I called you, like the things that went through my mind of like, oh, I don't want to bother her. <laughs> it's just sort of depressing. I don't really know. Maybe Daryl did go on a hike, you know, like I'll just go there by myself. It'll be fine. And that's the old part of me. That's I got to do it all by myself. I will figure it out. Things will be fine. Right. And that came from this growing up being that kid of, I don't think my parents can hold my emotion anyways. So let's just yeah. sort it out myself. I'd rather be alone than have I'd to rather. Yeah. And so, but also there was that voice and that inner feeling, that body sense of like, this feels too big to do by myself. And also I remembered Steph loves me and she would want me to feel supported. And then I think the other thing that really, really helped me was I trust her to say no if she can't or doesn't want to, or doesn't have capacity to. I really trusted your no. I trusted your no, and I trusted your yes. So when I chose to ask you, I just knew, like she will just either come or say she can't. And whatever the answer is, I also knew it wouldn't be personal because I knew you loved me and wanted me to feel supported. And if you said no, there would be a reason why, and it would have nothing to do with your degree of love and care for me. Yeah. So you came, I think you came and picked me up mm -hmm. and uh, neither of us had any idea what we were headed towards for that day. And the part of how Shalina plays into this is she had also said, I don't, I can't remember specifics, but she had said, Hey, I want to be there for you. And then again, my head went to, she's got to be busy. I got Steph already. The two of us will be fine. And then I remembered someone who loves you is trying to be there for you. They are saying they want to be there. Cause I think part of me also wanted to save people from having to experience something that might not be pleasant. I'm like, the fewer of us who have to be in this, the better, right? right. That was my old thinking. For and my part in that, I was thinking, she's got Shay, she doesn't need me. Mm -hmm. And then I went, oh, she asked for me. Mm -hmm. I can bring value or whatever to this situation. Mm-hmm. And so I chose, like you use the very specific word of like, I chose to say yes. I chose to, instead of being a lump that day, I chose to say, yes, I want to be there for G and I'm going to go. Which I had to hang up and take a minute to do. I said, I need a minute. And then I hung up and I sat with what my choices were and called you back and showed up. And 
never in that period of time did I think like I shouldn't have asked her and probably she doesn't want to anyways, because if she did, she would have said yes right away. Like I was, I probably said, okay, call me back. Yeah. And so I remember choosing to say yes to Shalina and say yes. And anyway, so the both of you were there for me that day. And when we arrived, there were like police, there were divers, there were drone operators, I don't know, like every kind of emergency service, search and rescue was there. And it could have been absolutely like overwhelming, like over the top overwhelming. But I remember very distinctly what we did, which is we took our time. And I think I held on to one of you or both of you. And at this point, luckily, I had known these regulation tools already. I knew to feel my feet on the ground. I knew to find something to look at other than all these flashing lights and to feel your hand in my hand and just be with my breath so I could take a moment away from all that stimulation. And then I could go into a little bit more and then I could take a break. And I essentially did that throughout the whole day so that, you know, not just that I could make it through, like that's not the goal, but so that I could check in with myself. Can I still be here? Is this too much for me? How are my friends? Like, how are the three of us doing? Are we all okay here? So I feel like all three of us probably did a lot of checking in with ourselves and each other, and then just progressing to the next bit that felt okay. And this is now almost three years ago, but I have a distinct body memory of standing at this place, watching the search and rescue, watching the divers, watching everything happen and feeling your hand in my hand and Shalina's hand in my hand. And I felt my feet on the ground and I just felt like I'm okay here. And it was because I could feel that physical contact with you both. I'm okay here. And even in the years since and moments since where those memories come up again, I remember again what it felt like to feel your hands anchoring me. And I don't believe we said tons of stuff to each other. It wasn't like this supportive therapy session next to, you know, the Cleveland Dam. But I felt yours and Shalina's, your loving presence. Like we talked about in the last episode, I felt that... Whatever you feel is okay. This is hard right now. I love you. I'm here for you. I felt that in your energy. I felt that in the way that you guys offered me touch. I felt that in the way you held my hand, right? At the edge of this, oh, what, you know, watching all this happen. And I truly believe that that is what allowed me to not just be absolutely taken down by this experience in life is that I felt that loving presence. Yeah. Yeah. There was a degree of like consciousness there with us that day that felt really impactful. Um, There was sort of a choice point. I remember at the end when they thought they had found him. Mm -hmm. And so something was going to happen next. And we didn't quite know what that was. Mm -hmm. And it felt so important because it was like, here, you're going to now either know what's happened Mm -hmm. or you're going to know what's happened and you're going to get a visual that you will have for the rest of your life. Yeah. And Shalina had the presence of mind to say, and it, you know, it's not haha funny, but it's funny because I was thinking this, but not wanting to interfere or 
it felt somehow like not my business. I didn't yet feel secure enough in my truth to just say, Hey, are you sure you want to see this? And mm -hmm. Shalina had the presence of mind to say, are you sure you want to see this? And if there had been no presence of mind there, I mean, I can imagine my anxiety running the show before just needing to know. So I'm going to stay and I'm going to watch everything. Yeah. And then I'm going to, what? No, I'm not going to know anything really any differently, but I'm going to have a set of new memories and uh, new senses and new synapses connected in my brain that won't feel good for me. Mm -hmm. um, I very much feel grateful for that presence of mind that we had. Yeah. That presence of mind can only come when someone knows how to grow the pause. Yeah. Right. And not be consumed by the moment and the energy of the moment. And that's what Shalina brought in that moment was let's just pause here. Yeah. And yeah, I think I felt it too. Had she not have brought the pause, I don't know that I would have stayed to watch everything, but I, if I would have turned away, it would have been reactionary. It would have been like, oh my gosh, this is too much. I got to turn away. And it's not that that's a bad thing, but it was just really significant to have that option to, to, to choose whether I wanted to put myself in that situation or not. Yeah. And I think there was a part of me that thought, I'm supposed to be here. Like, I can't walk away. Like, I can't not know what happened. Like, that feels like I'm disconnecting from the situation. And when you already have so little to hang on to, you're like, well, let me just soak it all up. I need to know exactly what happened. Yeah. So for Shay to, I remember her, also like very distinctly, I think maybe turning me towards her or turning her towards me and like touching me and looking at me and really saying to me, right? Because the police had already said something to us and I thought, oh no, yeah, we'll stay. But there was something about the way she made connection with me first, because what the police said were just scrambly words because I didn't, I wasn't connected to this that guy when he was telling me that stuff. And I think Shay could tell. Yeah. So she's like, she took the time to connect with me first and really say like, you know, and I remember how loving it was. She said, if you want to stay, that's okay. And we'll be with you or I'll be with you. But I really want you to think about like, is this something you want to see? Because you might see things, you probably will see things you will never be able to unsee. And when I heard her, then I could connect to a protector within me. Mm. And the protector within me said, gee, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see whatever's on the other side. That won't be good for you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't want to. And I told I don't want to see it. And then we moved away or we, you know, walked away. And that was also such an empowering moment. Like when you are going through tragic times where so much is out of your control, to be able to feel that there are moments of choice where I get to choose how this proceeds is really empowering and helpful right? To be able to say, I felt okay enough to be present up until this point and watch things unfold. And now's the time where I'm choosing to add that extra layer of protection and say, no, thank you. And let's choose a different option. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all take a moment to breathe. Feel your bum on the chair, your feet on the ground. <sighs> something else you want to say? In the time since then, I see different things that remind me of that day. I hear helicopters flying. 
I see police cars, I see drones flying. And what helped me every time something like that happened, and often I would be driving when these things would happen, I would feel my butt on the seat. I would feel my hands on the steering wheel. Sometimes I'd give the steering wheel an extra squeeze and I'd find something to look at and I'd notice my breath. All these same things we practice before and at the end of every episode. These seemingly, you know, insignificant things we practice. And I tell myself, right now, that thing that happened that day is not happening. Right? And then my body settles and it's like, okay, it's not happening. And, you know, in the time right after this happened, those things would happen more often and I would have to do more to help my body be with that moment. But I remember one day, I can't remember if I texted you. I think I might've texted my friend, Helen. I said, Helen, a helicopter flew by today. And it didn't even occur to me. Like, I see that as a good sign. Hmm. You know, not that it would be a bad sign if something would come up, but just that I've practiced so much. Yeah. And didn't make myself wrong in those times that I felt overwhelmed. And then eventually my body just didn't have the same connection to helicopter flying over anymore. Yeah, you're leaving space for there to be different connections. Mm-hmm. We've seen the meme of um, grief. So if you picture grief as a little black ball, it's not that we shrink the grief, we grow more around the grief. Yeah. Um, that's really what you're describing, right? In those moments, there's the hard thing. And you could focus on exclusively that painful thing. You can yeah. also make space for feeling your bum and feeling your feet, feeling your breath. Right there, you're focusing on three new things. So for ease of math, let's say 25% of you is focused on the hard thing and 75% is other. Exactly, right? And that helped me so much. That simple practice helped me get through the most awful awful experience of my life. I wouldn't wish that upon anyone to be in the presence of that. However, I actually felt very centered and I felt very supported and I felt as much in my power as you possibly can in a really terrible situation. And a really beautiful, you know, second part of this story and it just reiterates how much people just want a warm, loving presence when they're having a hard time is I would say it's almost a year ago. I got a phone call from a friend. I became who you were to me, right? I got that call said something horrible has happened. And I was like, what's happening, right? It was six in the morning. I wasn't expecting a phone call. And I knew I needed to go be with this friend. And I was the first one to arrive. And it was tragic. And what can you possibly say to someone when really tragic things happen? Right? And so I did what you and Shay did for me which is I sat on the couch next to her. I asked her if it was okay to hold her hand and I held her hand. And occasionally I would say, can you feel my hand holding your hand? Can you notice your breath? I love you. I'm here. And um, this friend has told me in the time since then how significant that was that she was able to feel my hand and feel my presence. I didn't know what to say. Like, what do you say to someone when really tragic, awful stuff happens? There's nothing we can really say that makes any of it turn back in time. But what we offer in our touch, what we offer in our word, like our, our, like uh, our words of love are, um, 
presence and energy can be, I know this is hard and I love you and I'm here. Yeah. And um, this part is about checking in with capacity. I felt that I had capacity that day to be that for her. And then there was a lot of other support she needed after that happened. And I could tell, like, I can't, I can't do all these other pieces. It stirs up for me too much of what happened. And it would be too much for me to hold all of that stuff and emotion and sensation and parent my children and, you know, do the stuff I needed to do. And I knew that there was a whole group of women, you know, who were able and had more capacity to support. Yeah. And so I let that happen. And never once did I make myself wrong for that. Like, I didn't mm -hmm. say, like, what a bad friend you are. You were only there on the first day. You know, like, all these other women are helping in all these other ways and you're not. And it was a real just honoring of what I could give was what I gave that day. And beyond that, I don't have it in me right now yeah. to do the other parts. Yeah. That's really, there's some serious keys in there. Um, for my part, I was not there for her physically. Um, and that was a conscious choice. I couldn't, I couldn't, I was losing my mind. Mm -hmm. And I knew that she had this group of women that she had all this support. I think in the past I would have made myself simultaneously like more important and less important at the same time. Like, Oh, I have to be there. I have to prove something or it would have been a not clear, not really true support. So I knew I wasn't actually needed. You know, my love and presence might've been nice, but I wasn't needed. And so I didn't make myself bad or wrong. And I still reached out to let her know, you know, in the past, if I had not shown up in a way that I maybe felt like I ought to have, I might have then just hid completely, you know, and been quietly ashamed. But I actually wasn't ashamed. And I was actually acting from my capacity. And I actually do love her. And she knows that. And I didn't question that. And I knew she had what she needed. So I was able to just send her words and you know, let her know that I knew what was going on and remind her that I loved her. But the key in there is her having been open to that support in the first place. You know, like all of us who come to these groups, she was not open to love and support previously. Um, and she is one of the women who blossomed into that so like readily and beautifully um, and without qualification, just saying, I need this who can give me this? And when we rely on just one person, our best friend or our partner or our parent, it becomes an impossible task. But to hand over someone in need to like 30 people who are all giving what they can, you know, she found support there because she was open to it. She learned how to accept it. She learned how to ask for it. And she learned how to receive it when it was given. And all of that takes work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's life-changing because like, I, I can't imagine not having learned that. I remember in the days after Daryl died, I was standing in my bedroom and I thought I need food. And then the immediate thought after that was, are you for real? Like, of course you can like sort out. surely you can sort out at least the very basics of feeding you and your two children even if you have to eat microwave food for a while, like it's not that hard. I remember that voice. And then I also, this other voice came in and said, no, there are people who want to help me. They want to support me. They want to love up on us. And I'm going to make use of that. And I'm going to let people help me. And this was an added layer of like, Ooh, are you sure? Because these were women who were in a women's group we were facilitating. So again, I have that voice of, well, I'm not meant to receive from them. I'm meant to be the giver to them. And 
then I had to remind myself, no, these are just people. These are just people and people love you and care about you. Don't rob people of that opportunity because of help. They They want to help. They want to know how. And so I remember texting you and saying, we need food. I don't know what that means, but can you sort that out, please? (laughs) And you were on it. And it actually became, I think everyone knows that I love dumplings. So they arranged a dumpling making day or something. And it became a really social thing. It was a social thing and it was something that they all knew, hey, this is helping G. This is one of the ways we can help right now. And um, it was so lovely. And it showed me all the ways that people want to help in whatever they have capacity to help. Because then one of our friends is like, okay, we got all these dumplings and all this other food made for you. Where are you going to put it? (laughs) And I have like the tiniest freezer, right? And I was like, well, my ex-husband has a big deep freeze. (laughs) And so I texted him and I said, my friends made us some food, you know, made me some food. And would it be okay to put it in your freezer? Right. We have a good amicable relationship. I thought that was an okay thing to ask. And he was like, yeah, for sure. And so all I could do was send his address. I sent his address to one of the women in the group and they're like, no worries. We're going to coordinate with him and we'll make sure that that food gets into that freezer for you. And it was so important that I let myself experience receiving help. And from all the little ways. And um, definitely life-changing. Yeah. Right. How many people want to help you? Yeah. I'd forgotten that that happened on a women's group day. Um, And I think that really changed our view of leadership in some way too. It opened up something. Um, I remember leaving you at Shay's house with a group of lovely people and some food. And I went and hosted the women's group. And I had to be honest about what was going on. Obviously, I was a wreck. And I didn't really have it in me to hold space or lead processes for 20 women. And they didn't want me to. They just wanted to be there for me. They wanted to be there for you. They were so excited to have an opportunity to support us. And, you know, we miss out on that so much when we don't ask or when we don't know how to share, when we don't know what we're feeling or how to express it. Yeah, or that we think our expression or asks have to be really clear and specific. Yeah. Sometimes they can't be. Right. I just said, I need food. I don't, I don't really care how you guys arrange it. (laughs) Can you please help me get food? Right. And when we have these beliefs of how relationships should be, then we miss out on what else they could be. Yeah. You know, and I remember, I think a couple years later after the COVID restrictions, it was dumpling day again. And it was just a social event, I think was a social event or maybe maybe we were making, no, we were making food for our friend who had gone through her heart. And it was like full circle moment that I'm like, these are the women who made me dumplings. And now I'm at a place where I can be here and make dumplings for the next person who's having a hard time. Man. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think we should wrap it up there. Okay. And I don't think we've repeated an exercise, but I want us to repeat the love hands tap. Okay. <laughs> Let's do that. Is there anything else you want to say before we get into that 
How are you feeling? I'm feeling really warm and tender. You know, it feels good to be at a place to talk about hard things that happen in a way that I hope reminds people that there are people out there who want to love on you, even if you don't believe it. And can you please give them an opportunity to try? Right. That that means a lot to me that I can help remind people of that. I wish that Daryl had known that and believed it. You know, Mm -hmm. I wish that for everybody. Me too. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Gigi. Okay. So... Take a moment to connect with your body. For me, that means I want to place a hand on my heart, but for you, that might mean something different. Notice your breath. I'm going to charge up my hands. Give them a squeeze. And then when you feel ready, spread those love taps around. <laughs> you have a very cute face when you do that. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. I love this exercise. Sweet, right? Because the fingertips are so sweet. They are. <laughs> little tippy taps. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, I think that's it for today. I hope everyone listening will go be gentle and loving with themselves right now. If you need to do some more loving finger tippy taps, please take a moment to do that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Well, that's it then for this session. We'll see you guys next week. Please like, follow, and subscribe. And if anything we've said here today has been helpful for you, please share with somebody that you care about. Okay. Mm-hmm. See you next time. Mm-hmm.